You're listening to Beyond Synth, the best synthwave chat show there is. Hey there, welcome to the show. This is Beyond Synth, episode 296, which is crazy. My name's Andy, I host this show. Today we're doing a chiptune show, even though technically Watch Out for Snakes is more of a hybrid chip artist. Since we don't do very many chiptune episodes, I will take every opportunity to turn an episode into a chiptune show. So today we're going to listen to some chiptunes and then I will be chatting with Watch Out for Snakes. Maybe I should have like a little theme song for when we do chiptune shows. All right, here's a little short one from Anders Enger Jensen. All right, that was uh, Anders Enger Jensen with 8-Bit Keys Intro Remix. So that can be the Chiptune Show theme song. Unless 8-Bit Keys is... A theme song he did for somebody else. <laughs> In which case, now I'm stealing it. Anyways, let's get the show started and listen to some cool music. I got a cool one here from Zabutam. And if you uh, pay attention to the show, I had him as a guest on one of the chiptune shows a few years ago. That was a good one, so go listen to that. And now listen to this. This is Zeta Force, the Digitone version by Zabutam.
All right, and that was Zabutam with Zeta Force, the Digitone version. And that was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. We have a new patron this week. In the $10 Club, we got Brandon Decker. Brandon Decker, you are a cool guy. Thank you for supporting Beyond Synth. And if you want to be a cool guy just like Brandon, and I know that you do, please consider going to patreon.com slash beyondsynth and supporting the show. And of course, other things, like Andy's Spaceship, which is, uh, there's a new episode up on YouTube now. It's the episode I did with guest John Masari, who you know is also an awesome uh, Beyond Synth patron, but more importantly, is the composer for Killer Clowns from Outer Space, as well as a bunch of other things. And uh, we had a fun chat on Andy's Spaceship, which you can check out on YouTube. Just type in Andy's Spaceship, and you will find the Andy's Spaceship YouTube channel. And please uh, like and subscribe and uh, notifications and all the stuff you're supposed to do because we're going to be putting up uh, more episodes. So stay tuned for those. Now, hopefully you people don't notice a difference, but I've been changing my setup, my audio setup, so that everything's running through my mixer now, and it sounds really different to my ear. So hopefully the final product sounds the same because everything is set up exactly the same, except I'm just running it through the mixer now. And in doing so, my voice sounds all distorted to me but then once I record it and play it back it's not distorted but it's really weird because it's making me change the way that I speak but who cares I will solve it I will solve this problem that you don't give a shit about but I know what you do give a shit about is cool music so let's listen to this one from Chrono Wolf it's brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters like the kings of the Pattersons who you know as Chris Dance with the 88 miles an hour. And then there's Mike Shima with the 82. And then there's Robert D. Bishop and Mystery Donor. Will we ever know who the Mystery Donor is? It's a Beyond Synth mystery. Anyways, let's listen to this cool song. This is Chrono Wolf from the Doki Doki Gravity Dive original soundtrack. This is Autumn.
All right, and that was Chrono Wolf, which is a tough thing to say. Chrono Wolf. I keep on wanting to go like Chrono Wolf. I don't want to pronounce the L for some reason. Anyway, that's Chrono Wolf with the track Autumn. And that was a cool one. It was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters like Jose Arbello, the King of Hell with the 66.6, and Mike Erdahl, the Donation of the Beast, plus 50. So that Deathloop game looks cool. Deathloop. It's getting good reviews. So maybe I'll have to try that out. I should point out that I recorded this chat with Matt, a.k.a. Watch Out for Snakes, many months ago, so I did basically like a bulk record of a bunch of interviews before I left the city for the summer. And I'm telling you this because uh, on the topic of video games, that uh, I was still playing the Mass Effect trilogy remastered at the time because I know sometimes it might be confusing if like as the show is starting and I'm sitting there talking about playing uh, Ghost of Tsushima and then all of a sudden I'm talking to the guest and we're back talking about uh, Mass Effect trilogy and like, didn't you beat that like months ago? So if you find that confusing, just know that we recorded that before. So that's why I was still talking about Mass Effect. And I think actually when I recorded it with him, I was still just starting part two. Anyway, it's not a big deal. The point is that you're all cool and that Deathloop game looks cool and I'm going to try it out once I'm done with Ghosts of Tsushima, which is seemingly a very huge game because I've been taking my time doing all the side quests and then I uh, rescued a character. (laughs) Spoilers. And then I never really paid attention, but that was just called Act 1. I'm like, oh shit, and they just opened up this whole other island, and I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, I've been playing this for at least a month, right? Three weeks to a month, and uh, I guess that was just uh, Act 1. So look at that. So I got a lot to do. So when that's all done, then I'll pick up Deathloop, unless some other exciting game doesn't uh, fly in my face first. But I'll tell you what is fly in my face. Is that an expression? Hmm. Anyway, let's listen to this song from Levi R. Star. I think that's how you say that. For a a game called Jeff the Delivery Guy, which I've never played, but I I dug this tune. And uh, it's brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. In the Kroner Club, we got Emil and Hampus ML. And uh, I hope you dig this one from Levi R. Star. This is Moonlit Countryside, in brackets, Stage 4, from the Jeff the Delivery Guy soundtrack.
All right, that was Levi R. Star from the Jeff the Delivery Guy soundtrack with the song Moonlit Countryside, which is stage four of that game, apparently, because I've never played it. You know, because a lot of the times when I play chiptune tracks on these shows, I tend to play the sort of hybrid ones where it's like chip sounds, but merged with, you know, like big beats and cool bass lines and stuff, and not necessarily like pure chip music, but occasionally when there's a a nice melody, I always like those ones that remind me of, like, the Final Fantasies and Mega Mans and stuff of of the old days, and so when I hear tunes that, uh bring back those memories. I like to play those too. And on the subject of games, I just I just canceled my Game Pass. You know, I was signed up for Game Pass on Xbox, but the thing is, I did the math and I don't think I was necessarily getting my money's worth because <laughs> for the <laughs> cuz it, it comes to about 20 bucks Canadian a month. And I don't think I was playing $20 a month worth of games from Game Pass because, you know, the first 2 months, I think, I just played the Ori game, so Ori and the Blind Forest and Ori and the Will of the Wisps, which I believe you can buy for like $11. So <laughs> so for two months, I played, you know, $14 worth of games. I did finish playing Outer Worlds. I don't think that's a full price game now either. Like, I feel like that's one you can get for 40 And then pretty much since then, I've just been sort of like sampling games, but I haven't really been really playing too many games that are on the Game Pass list. And then the game I was playing for several months, the Mass Effect Trilogy, the remastered edition, I paid full price for that. Anyway, the point is, once the Bethesda games, the new ones like StarCraft or Star... What is it? Star... Space... Whatever, their they're fucking space RPG game that's not going to come out for like 10 years. Like, once some of those games come to Game Pass, then maybe I'll rejoin again. But uh, in the meantime, it's like, what's the point, man? And now I'm playing Ghost of Tsushima on the PlayStation. So, like, what I'm basically trying to say is I really wanted to save $20. So I could put that towards some Wendy's, if you know what I mean. Gotta have my junior bacon cheeseburger, the healthiest thing on Earth. Anyway, let's listen to some more music, okay? Uh, I got a cool one here from Bit Vortex. Uh, from the album Needler, and uh, it's brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. We got Tim Carlton, the Golden Boner, Jacob Wick, my semi-sonic friend, and City Hunter, the coolest guy in town. And this is Bit Vortex with Type 56.
And that was Type 56 by Bit Vortex from the album Needler. And that was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the 2666 Club. We got Hugh Hefner. And in the $25 Club, we got Clint Dowling, A Star Apart, Alex Ellickson, and Blake Peterson. Did you guys watch the game trailers for the Sony conference? Was it even a conference? What was that? I don't know what the deal is with announcing games years in advance. What is that? Because they always end up getting delayed again. Pretty much all, unless you are literally, you know, Ubisoft or Activision. I feel like the Call of Duties always come out on the date that they say they're going to. But pretty much all the other games, like whenever Sony announces stuff, they always get pushed back by four months and then an additional four months. And so the idea of having a trailer for a game like Spider-Man 2, where it's like Spider-Man 2 coming in 2023, am I meant to be excited? So you're showing me an ad for a game I literally will not be able to play for two years, and you know damn well that a month before that game comes out, they're going to be like, you know what, we need an extra four months, so the game's not going to come out until 2024. I mean, at least they showed footage. (laughs) Fucking Metroid Prime 4. (laughs) So I don't know, whenever I see trailers where like the year is 2023 it's like why the fuck did you even show me that and then it makes me really think about all the games that companies aren't showing and it's like shit if we're like in the state now where we're advertising games that don't even come out next year then what about the companies that aren't showing us anything like what about grand theft auto 6 is it literally like we can't show you we can't even pretend that grand theft auto 6 is coming out in two years so we're not even going to show you so is grand theft auto 6 literally like four years away anyway it's just food for thought look let's listen to some more tracks okay i got one here from x lid is that how you say that ex hyphen l y d from uh, the album high tide it's brought to you by my awesome patreon supporters in the 25 dollar club awesome people like Eurobeat intensifies did i mention him already Honeybeard, jimmy the hut johnny five kempson and ken Jer- and this is X Lid with Atlantica.
And that was Atlantica by X Lid from the album High Tide. I hope that's how you say that. How else would you say that? X Lied? No, it's X Lid. It's got to be. Or is it Lied? Hmm. Uh-oh. Uh, well, whatever. We'll figure it out. Anyways, it was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the $25 Club. Awesome people like Mr. Magoo Samurai. Did I say Ken Jiru already? I'm all over the place today. Neverman, Newmark, Restless Nights, and Techno Ben. All right, uh, let's do birthdays. All right, we got a couple birthdays here. On September the 15th, a very happy birthday to Ross Bruce. Ross Bruce is a cool guy and one of my awesome PayPals. That's right, because not only can you support the show at patreon.com slash beyondsynth, you can also support the show at uh, PayPal, and there's a link on the Beyond Synth website, like the awesome Ross Bruce, whose birthday it is now. I know nothing about Ross Bruce other than he's a cool guy and he supports this show, which means that he's a cool guy. That's how that works. I don't know if you all know this, but you can be cool too simply by supporting the show like Ross Bruce. Well, Ross, listen to me. I want you to have a very special birthday, all right? I don't know. What is uh, September the 15th? Is something special? Uh, I'm going to type I'm going to type in September the 15th into the search engine and see if that's an anniversary of something. What happened on September 15th? The first non-aristocratic free public school in Europe is opened in Frascati, Italy in 1616. (laughs) So there you go. Ross Bruce, you are my favorite non-aristocratic free public man. In 1928, Scottish bacteriologist Alexander Fleming discovers penicillin while studying influenza. There you go. That's a good one. And in 1940, the Battle of Britain Day, climax of the Battle of Britain. The tide begins to turn as the Royal Air Force repulses a major Luftwaffe attack, losing 29 aircraft to the Germans 57 to 61. So there you go. Happy birthday, Ross. And of course, uh, September the 18th, I believe, is the birthday of one Marco Merrick, who you might know as Marco Merrick, who is, of course, uh, part of the Beyond Synth family, the guy who uh, hosted Synthetic Sundays for all those years at a time, at a beautiful time where he was basically the only competition to Beyond Synth, who has then since been absorbed by Beyond Synth. But of course, there's so many more uh, Synthwave uh, related podcasts out there now. You know, Beyond Synth has been around for quite some time, and we've seen a lot come and go. I think the guys at Forever Synth are are ending their show. They were going strong for uh, several years, but uh, they've decided to quit, basically, because they're a bunch of babies. Let's be honest here. (laughs) But to be fair, those guys are cool, and uh, uh, I've been uh, uh, talking to them about possibly uh, something. Uh, But of course, the bottom line is here, we're talking about Marco. So happy birthday, Marco. You're a cool guy. And, uh, you know, whatever. I'll be talking to you on the next family show. Technically, we already recorded it. But uh, anyway. Uh, Okay. And another happy birthday here on September the 19th to Jonathan, a.k.a. Binkley, who is another awesome patron of Beyond Synth. Just in case you're wondering, uh, to get a birthday shout out on the show, uh, you got to be a patron. Or you gotta be my friend. (laughs) And let me tell you, I got enough friends, okay? (laughs) 
And thanks to <laughs> stupid pandemic, I have hung out with none of them in two years. Okay, so happy birthday to you, Binkley. You're a cool guy. Let's find out what happened on September the 19th. Let's see if uh, you have any cool anniversaries of uh, defeating the Luftwaffe. Well, in 1870, the siege of Paris by Prussian forces begins, and then it lasts until January 28th in 1871. In 1893, New Zealand becomes the first country to grant all women the right to vote. There you go, Binkley. And then 150 years later, they voted in a lady prime minister. The point is, guys, the progress takes time, all right? And a bunch of the other things are really depressing, and I'm not going to read. So look, man, listen. <laughs> it's like a weird thing to... You know, to be like, hey, happy birthday. What's the, what's, uh, what happened on your birthday? Well, a, uh, a giant earthquake killed 10,000 people. Like, oh, okay, well, that sucks. But the point is that you are a cool guy, Binkley, and I hope you have a lovely, uh, day. Keep on being cool. Did you say you owned a pinball machine? You got a pinball machine, right? Is that you? Go service your pinball machine, if that's you. I think it's you. Anyway, look, the bottom line is this. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to all of you. Thanks for supporting the show. Hope you all have a lovely, uh, uh, wonderful day. And uh, I'm just rambling now, so let's play another song. I got a cool one here from Hang On, Get Ready, from the Habroxia 2 soundtrack, which is a shmup. And uh, this is a cool song. It's brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. Of course, there's Forged in Neon with the 2049. In the $20 Club, we got Joshua Winter and Chatterack. And I uh, hope you dig this. This is Hang On, Get Ready with Edge of the Penumbra.
All right, and that was Edge of the Penumbra by Hang On, Get Ready from the Habroxia 2 soundtrack. And that, of course, was brought to you by my awesome PayPals. We got Upgrade Jimpy, the king of the PayPals. And then there's Austin Whetstone. Did I mention that Jimmy Groon upgraded his support? think I did, but since I forgot, we'll do it again. Of course, there's Jimmy Groon, the Ross Conian, Brandon Morin, Ross Bruce, we just mentioned him, Digital Dreams, Gustav Velichek, Dan Williams, Felix Borselman, Russell Nyes, Timothy Warwick, and Cool Guy Jersey. So, thank you all for supporting the show. Uh, they support the show uh, with PayPal, which uh, you can do too if you want to be a cool guy like these cool guys, um, but maybe you don't. And there's nothing I can do about that. Alright, so here's a question. If if the Spider-Man 2 trailer said that the game was coming out in 2023 and then the other thing they showed was hey by the way we're making a Wolverine game and they didn't give a date what the hell does that mean? Like is the Wolverine game seriously going to be like 2025? I was going to say it's almost as bad as Metroid Prime 4 but at least they showed something even if it was just a pre-rendered cutscene. I don't know. You let me know. Was there anything there that excited you in those trailers? Were you excited to see GTA 5 being upgraded for the next gen consoles? Did that trailer look upgraded? <laughs> Why don't they make a new fucking game? <laughs> it drives me nuts. Like, should I just give in and then just go back to my GTA Online game? Like, is that what I should be doing? I do have a character in that game. And the best part is, since I only ever play it once a year for a few hours, whenever I sign in, I've got like a million dollars because I haven't signed in in a while. So then the first thing I do is just go to the gun store and pick up whatever new weapons there are. I try them out for about two minutes and go, yeah, I got, I'm, I'm good. I think I just need more people to play online with. Let me know if any of you play GTA Online. I mean, I have it on the PlayStation, mind you. Maybe I'll wait till they fucking put out the upgrade, and then I'll try it out, and I'm sure I won't notice any difference. Yeah, whatever. Anyway, look, uh, how about this? Let's listen to one more song, and then we will go chat with Watch Out for Snakes, okay? I got a cool one here from Blue Navy. Hope that's how you say that. Whenever I see the word Navy now, I don't know if it's Navi, you know, like the the aliens in uh, Avatar. Actually, here's a question. You know the fairy in Ocarina of Time? Is it pronounced Navy or Navi? For some reason, my whole life, I always called that fairy Navi without even thinking, like, well, maybe it's just pronounced Navy. Has that ever been answered anywhere? Because, like, there's no dialogue in the game, so no one ever actually says it. I mean, the only dialogue is from the fucking fairy whenever it's just like, Hello! Hello! (laughs) Listen! (laughs) Anyway, uh, this song's cool. It's brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. Uh, With the 1988, it's Whale and Caskey Geospatial. With the 1986, it's COVID-1986. And in the 1985 club, we got Rachel Buchelman and Sarah Buchelman. And this is Blue Navy with Starship Excelion.
that was Starship Excelion by Blue Navy. I think I first heard that track on one of those Chiptunes Equals Win compilations, and I think that was one of the labels that disappeared, as we talked about on the episode I did with Shiroban. Although I think we, <laughs> the way that we talked about it on that show, we never actually said the name of it. Anyway, it was brought to you, that track anyways, was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. We got Prophet of Jupiter, Mads Baron Christensen, Skywolf, Retro Serenade, and we will never forget the immortal Chris Elia Lane. And uh, yeah, let's go and chat with Watch Out for Snakes. Alright, well I am here right now with Watch Out for Snakes. How's it going, man? Pretty good. How you doing, Andy? I'm doing all right. You are Matt, is that correct? That is correct. I am Matt. How do you say your last name? Do you say Baum? So, uh, yeah, I mean, technically it's Baum. Uh, it means uh, tree in German, which is, you know, what I was told. And then also, like, took a bunch of German. So, like, I was able to verify that at some point. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I get I get Baum. I get bomb. I get everything. So I, I answer to, to whatever people say. For a while, I actually had, like, a dream of becoming a journalist uh, when I was in high school. And uh, the column that I had was the bomb shelter. <laughs> so that nickname... <laughs> kind of stuck into like my my email days and and I, then i had like an animation website that i kind of co-opted the name for so uh so yeah i i, I use bomb when it serves my purpose but most of the time I, I, it's it really is bound yeah i'm trying to think of any uh, uh puns that would use baum yeah I, um, it's really baum <laughs> it's really not a normal word i mean and maybe maybe if i was german then you know it, there would be all kinds of things that I could uh, make jokes about. That's a Baumann shelter. No, no, because then it would be no, because Baum would be tree at that point, so the pun wouldn't work. Right, you right. wouldn't have a tree shelter, would you? Also, shelter isn't the word in German for shelter. Hold on, no. let's find out what it is. That's what the internet's for, man. Let's go right to uh, translate. Yeah, Google Translate. Here we are. We're gonna we're gonna learn something together here. Let's do it. Translate. <laughs> well, first, Andy, we need to learn how to spell that word correctly. <laughs> All right. So let's see. Bomb shelter and then change it to German. This is a bad idea. <laughs> Luftschutzbunker. Hold on. Luftschutzbunker. And oh, we want a tree, right? Uh, yeah. It's got to have Baum in it. I think we should have done like tree shelter. Here we go. It's- tree shelter. Baumschutz. Baumschutz. All, all of your German fans are rolling over right yeah, now, yeah, yeah. Just, like crying, <laughs> like please stop butchering our language. Baumschutz. Okay, here I'll apologize to them. I am sorry, German people. Es tut mir leid, Deutsche Leute. So that means I'm sorry, German people. All right, now let's talk to you. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> now that we've got the German people, like yeah. taken care of. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so tell me a little bit about you. You were writing, did you have like a little newspaper? What are you talking about? What was the bomb shelter about? Yeah, it was, it was high, uh, high school newspaper. So uh, yeah, I grew up in Florida when I was in high school, like was big into writing. And so I thought that uh, I wanted to become a journalist after school. And so that's where I put all of my creative energies at the time was just into uh, being on the high school newspaper. I was one of those uh, nerds that was walking around with like the cameras, like trying to take pictures for yearbook and going around trying to do exposés on, you know, what was going on in the cafeteria. And then like also trying to review <laughs> different things that were going on 
on in the media because I think South Park had just come out for the first time. And so I wrote a, a couple of kind of like hot take reviews on that and King of the Hill. So yeah, it was a, it was a lot of fun. Um, although I think I had the most fun kind of like trying to come up with creative headlines for whatever the column was for that, that week. So I was always trying to use alliteration, which probably not the coolest thing looking back, but I, I had a good time with it. So was it less about journalism and more about puns yeah looking back that's probably correct (laughs) (laughs) like the the actual articles were just a a means to an end for me (laughs) have fun writing headlines so uh, (laughs) hey but that's a skill too you know no it is i mean that's uh, i I mean i ended up becoming like the the editor my senior year and i found out that that was pretty much the only job that the editor had was was you know you you have all these other writers that are that are bringing you all the stories and your job is just to kind of sit back and uh, decide which stories are going to run and then come up with the headlines for the story. So that was a was a pretty sweet gig. But yeah, I figured out pretty quickly that that wasn't really what I wanted to do. And so years later now, here we are and I'm playing music instead. But um, yeah, it's been it's been a journey to get here. Originally, I went into school for like computer science and stuff and really thought I wanted to do like video game development because that's really kind of been a passion of mine. But it didn't occur to me until I think junior year of college that like, hey, if I'm so into video games, maybe I should try and like go into video game design or development. So I kind of like switched majors from sociology at the last second and started started doing uh, video game stuff, but ended up kind of getting like waylaid doing animation stuff um, for a little bit. Yeah, I've always been into music and I've always played music, but never really took it seriously until I actually got out of school. So it's like I went through like all, all the school and everything and then found out, as most people do, I guess, that like, hey, uh, all of this was kind of a waste. And like, here's the thing that you really like. So you should really be doing that. After high school, you were taking sociology, but then switched that to computer science, but then did animation. Like what? How does that work? <laughs> Yeah, so I started out in sociology, switched to computer science, wanted to do video game development, uh, got to the point where then I was like, oh, well, I really enjoy teaching, so I'm going to teach, and uh, then went to grad school. (laughs) I want you to admit that this story took place over like the course of two months, and like every day you just like completely switched. (laughs) Right. (laughs) it was actually just all one day yeah. and like within the span of a couple of hours I was switching so uh, yeah no it was one of those things where I, I think I decided um, even though I was really into video game development and everything that it's a kind of a tough career to have I've got a couple of friends that are in the video game industry and they're not paid the best um, the hours are kind of crappy like the project deadlines are, are rough and the layoffs are, are pretty frequent so when I kind of figured that out I was like eh as much as I like the idea of it maybe that's not really for me And so I decided that, hey, instead of actually going into the industry, maybe I can teach computer science instead because I I like teaching people. It's it's always nice connecting with people when they're passionate about a subject and you're teaching them something new and um, you're able to just kind of see that light bulb go on in their head. So the problem is that that required more schooling. And, you know, by that point, I was, you know, pretty burned out on stuff. So uh, I had kind of like developed a side hobby of like creating flash animation at the time. And this is when like, you know, C-Lab 2021 and Aqua Teen Hunger Force were just coming out on Adult Swim. And so that's kind of where my mind was. I wanted to get into that world and uh, started creating my own web cartoons. And that's originally what brought me from Florida to Atlanta because uh, Atlanta is where Turner Broadcasting is. And so, yeah, the, it wasn't until I moved to Atlanta that 
I really kind of truly got into music because I was looking for like a friend group here because I, I moved here to Atlanta without without knowing anybody. I basically just packed up, you know, everything that was in my car and uh, moved in with like one friend that I had from grad school that I knew that lived here in Atlanta. And so, yeah, when I moved here, I was just kind of looking for something to do socially and ended up putting a an ad out on Craigslist that, you know, I, I played keyboards and was looking for looking for a band. And that's how I ended up getting picked up by the band here called The Drownout that, uh, that I was in for like two and a half years. And that's that's kind of launched launched me fully into music. Oh, I thought you were going to say you like uh, <laughs> you put out a Craigslist ad looking for a friend. <laughs> I mean, that was that was like the veiled the veiled uh, <laughs> like reasoning behind it. But, you know, because it's too sad to just be like, be my friend on Craigslist. Yeah. I decided eh, be my bandmates. Yes. That's like one step slightly like less sad no that's better plus if you put out an ad for like be my friend chances are the person who's going to reply it is going to eat you (laughs) right i feel like that's how that story ends is like he seemed lonely and i found him on the web and then ate him (laughs) let's go for a hike out in the woods (laughs) from which you will never return (laughs) why do you keep spraying barbecue sauce all over me (laughs) Uh, don't worry about it Uh, oh, look, let's. It's a weird segue into music, but let's listen to some music, all right? So you put out uh, an album in in 2018 called Upgrade, which I think did you send me this, or it was like it had like a box that looked like a Super Nintendo or a Nintendo box, right? Right. Yeah. So yeah, uh, I always had this idea that you know from the start of this project that I was going to be doing something that was inspired by Nintendo uh, sounds. It was going to be using Nintendo instrumentation, and so when it came time to think about how I was going to do the physical release, I hadn't really. Seen seeing too many people at the time doing like a full cartridge release. And so the original idea was that I was going to have the music on the cartridge and you'd actually be able to play like NSF files of the tracks themselves and everything, but it got too cost prohibitive. So I ended up like putting together like the actual like packaging for it. And then it just had kind of a blank decorative cart inside that I included with like a cassette tape. Um, So that was what the package was that I sent you, I think back in the day. Yeah. I feel like that was like one of the first things anyone ever sent me. (laughs) I remember like, cause yeah, like, now people like you know they go oh can I send you some stuff and I'm sure and I remember like that was one of the first ones and I got the package I'm like oh it's like a little present <laughs> anyway look let's listen to a track from it I want to listen to uh, the track Torn so uh, let's listen to that and then we'll uh, we'll keep talking let's do it
right, and that was Torn by Watch Out for Snakes. And I am here right now with Watch Out for Snakes, a.k.a. Matt. You sort of, I mean, you make chiptune music essentially, although you do, you don't just do pure chiptune, like you do add in like other uh, instruments and stuff like that to sort of fill it out. But I mean, why did you gravitate towards that sound? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um, I have always kind of gravitated towards uh, that kind of sound because, I mean, even when I was a, a kid, you know, I was, I was sitting there trying to replicate uh, the sounds that I heard in the video games that I grew up with. So, it, you know, my parents never really got me a, a synthesizer or a keyboard that was actually able to do any of that stuff. And so I, I was, you know, kind of relegated to trying to pick things out on the piano and, you know, made it sound as much like the, the songs that, uh, that I liked as I could. But yeah, it wasn't until, you know, I got my first keyboard, which I think was a, was a Casio. And then I think the keyboard after that was when I really started doing like the minimal synth thing. I ended up getting a microcore and uh, started messing with just kind of like basic square and uh, and sine wave sounds. At the time, I was like also really impressed by different bands uh, that were coming out, like Adam and His Package and Reggie and the Full Effect, Postal Service. You know, they they all had like very minimal synth that they were using as part of like larger uh, arrangements, and so. Uh, that's that was kind of like my clue that hey you know you can actually do this and and have it sound okay or you know have it be more widely accepted where people are actually gonna be fans of this kind of music so um, so that was always kind of my goal um, even when I was in this band before the drown out um, it was always trying to figure out you know how how geeky can I make make this sound and still have it kind of like fit into a normal like band arrangement so yeah it was a in that band for a couple of years, uh, we played Warp Tour um, a couple of times, uh, just a couple of dates. It wasn't like we were on the full tour or anything, but it was still a fun experience. But uh, as bands do, eventually we kind of like ended up drifting apart. And I got tired from a creative perspective of, you know, trying to play the music that I wanted to play or like create the music that I wanted to create and um, having to kind of run that past three other people. And then also from like a, a touring perspective when you're having to coordinate schedules between four different people it's always difficult to play the shows that you want to play so um so that's kind of what drove me into like watch out for snakes and really kind of pursuing something that was more more of a solo project and it's has allowed me to kind of explore the sound that i wanted to explore but to your point uh you know it's not really chiptune it's not really synthwave and and a large part of that is because i i really didn't come from either community I, again i was kind of coming at it from more of like a almost like a pop punk hardcore um space um so i was listening to bands like we are wolves and test icicles and uh and the hives and just kind of wanted to make something that was really like grungy and you know mixed in some elements of like 80s new wave because that's what i had grown up listing stuff like elo and men at work and depeche mode but uh but i hadn't ever really heard of synthwave um i really wasn't connected to the chiptune community either i just knew that i wanted to make minimal synth sounds similar to you know, Reggie and the Full Effect, Postal Service, some of the bands that I mentioned before. And uh, when I kind of put those things together, it ended up it ended up in this kind of like conglomeration of things that, uh, you know, I, I liked the way it sounded. And at the time that I was writing Upgrade, which I think I first started writing it in 2015, uh, like that's kind of when I came across like College and Survive as well. And, and that for me was like what really kind of like launched things because that's when I realized, oh yeah, you can actually not, not every song has to be 
like fully fleshed out. You can have like a really beautiful idea or really beautiful melody or just a really cool rhythm and just kind of focus in on that. And you don't have to worry so much about trying to build out like a full ABAB like uh, song structure for everything. And so um, just hearing what they were able, able to do with that was um, was really kind of freeing for me and, and also kind of clued me in that there's this whole synthwave genre over here that I had been making music in parallel to that I could just kind of join in on and and that you know there was kind of a built-in fan base for that stuff already and the, the same thing for chiptune you know I've, I'm still kind of exploring that community um, I know that there are a lot of people um, that are part of the chiptune community that are like super purist about you know it has to be made on this kind of hardware and this this particular fashion in order to like be considered like pure chiptune but um, you know, I've, I've always kind of subscribed to the the idea that as long as you're making music that you love and you like the way it sounds and and there's an audience for it that, that also appreciates it, then it doesn't really matter how you make it. So No, and no, I completely disagree. For me, it's all about following a very strict set of rules. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. That's where the best art comes from, <laughs> is when you sit down and you look at a list. You First of all, you go to a Facebook group where people are talking about the genre, and then you make a list that says, well, I have my choice of one of three instruments, and I can uh, use this beat, and I can use this particular snare sound, and and I can play a chord, but only if it's these particular notes. It's great. It's the artist's dream. I did forget to mention that as part of my process. Before I finish any song, I have to go out to the Facebook groups and, and check and make sure that like I'm following all the right the right rules. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Facebook is a is a great resource. <laughs> yes, no. Never. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully my my sarcasm is transmitting through the through the microphone. Oh, I could I could I, it was it was very thick. It was <laughs> I, eating it up with a fork and knife. Wait a second. So okay, so you go to Atlanta because you're making cartoons, web cartoons. Yeah. When you get to Atlanta, then what are you doing for money? Like you get a normal job or like what's happening to you? Yeah, I'm, I'm telling this in kind of like the memento like version yeah. of things. <laughs> like I'm gonna start at the end first and then work my way backwards, and then you're gonna find out that i was the killer the whole time so are you john g is that what i have to do i gotta write that down <laughs> you could be my john g yeah <laughs> my favorite scene from that movie is when it does the flashback to the hospital they're doing the test on him and he's like test this you fucking quack and he like gives the guy the finger <laughs> and i actually found that gif it was uh it was already online for me That's perfect. every so often i bust out test this you fucking quack and i don't know why it's just it's such a great line like i I'm, I'm, when you said it just now i was just thinking i wonder if anybody's actually sampled that for a song before <laughs> Fucking test this, you fucking quack. That you know what? Such a great opening line. That movie also has one of my favorite what the fucks is there's that one scene where Guy Pierce like it's doing a flashback and then he's 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 in the middle of a, gu- a chase mm-hmm. where that one dude is like chasing him with a gun and he doesn't realize <laughs> if he's being chased or if he's chasing the guy and when the guy just shows up and you see Guy Pierce like what the fuck and then the guy pulls yeah. a gun on him it's fucking so awesome I, I love that he's like oh okay I'm chasing this guy yeah. and he shoots, shoots at him he's like oh no he's chasing me fuck that's a movie I haven't watched in a long time I love that movie and I, I feel like the last like 15 years has has just gone by in such a way because I mean I had kids and stuff and I was gonna say you've got a family so that's that's a typically a, a pretty valid excuse yeah but it's weird because I remember there were all these just assumptions like oh this is a movie I watch once a year it's like the Lord of the Rings trilogy or whatever like I had all these plans and it's like I had all my favorite movies that I used to watch frequently 
And then now I'm sitting there reminiscing and going like, oh, that movie's awesome. And I'm thinking, like, I don't think I've watched Memento for like 15 years, <laughs> but I loved it. And it was like this movie that I watched a bunch of times. Memento was one of those where I could break it out once a year, but there's a, a lot of movies out there like, um, you know, Seven as an example, where it takes me a little bit before I can go back to it because it, it, it is kind of emotionally draining to, to sit through that, even though I love it. Yeah. When movies have super disturbing things, like none of my favorite films have like ultra disturbing stuff in them. So even though like Seven is a movie that is awesome and I appreciate like the artistry of, it does have a few sequences which like I'm happy to not revisit. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, like, oh, really I mean, fast forward this. Yeah. I mean, like they're great scenes, like full of like really powerful acting. But then when I think back, I'm like, what an awful scene. Same with the fucking, you know, Requiem for a Dream, right? Like once oh, was enough, sure. you know, like it was like yeah. I watched it and I'm like, wow, this movie is a technical achievement that I will never look at again. Yeah. Well, and still to this day, like I, I, I think I've blocked so many portions that of that movie from my mind and kind of like a PTSD like <laughs> way where like I can remember like the technical aspects of it where it's like hey you know that really fast those fast cuts and everything yeah, and, yeah. Like, and you know how how cool that was at the time and i vaguely remember why i will never go back to that movie and that's enough to keep me <laughs> from it but like i don't remember details i've just got my mind has like graciously just yeah. erased all of that from and i wonder though too mind. yeah like when i think back i'm like okay like those scenes there was like fucked up scenes but i think it was just more the movie was just such an effective build. Mm -hmm. The intensity of the way that it built towards that crazy ending where just all the bad stuff was happening to everybody at the same time. I'm sure also it's the type of thing where, you know, I've seen enough fucked up stuff by now like in my adult life that if I went back and watched that now I'd be like oh really this is it but you know at the time that's possible that, too the internet is definitely a shit house yeah <laughs> that has <laughs> fucked up likely. all of our brains <laughs> but uh but yeah uh going back to your your question so <laughs> I had a question <laughs> <laughs> let, let me try and keep it keep us back on track thanks um now you you were asking about how I got from animation to music and like what I what I had been doing for work here in Atlanta. So I got here to Atlanta. Uh, originally, I moved here because I had an internship with Turner Broadcasting and uh, that fell through um, because I didn't read the fine print when I applied for the internship that you currently have to be in school in order to be qualified for it. And uh. so stupid me, I'm like, awesome, cool. I got the internship. Bye. I'm quitting, quitting school. And then I got up to Atlanta. They're like, yeah, no, we can't accept you. That was like part of the requirement, you dummy. So oh, I, th I thought it was going to be like, you also have to adopt the conservative values of Ted Turner. Like that's like the other small print. <laughs> no, I, that never came up. Um, I mean, maybe that was like further along in the interview process than I made it. But yeah. So anyways, they told me, oh, well, we like your animation enough and your portfolio, like stick around and like keep working on stuff and and we'll we'll be in touch like when there's something that opens up because we really do want to have you. And you know, I had enough money to kind of float me for a couple of months, and then that money started to dry up, and I had to start looking for a job to make ends meet. And I ended up taking a job with IBM of all places, doing regular support stuff for like business to business like software. It's really boring stuff, but <laughs> I was not invested in it. Uh, after about two years, they laid people off, and then I switched from that to like go and work for Coca-Cola where I was working for, I guess, 11 plus years up until like November of last year. And so, yeah, Coke was cool because uh, they they had like a flexible enough uh, work schedule for me uh, where 
you know, I was really able to do a lot of uh, this touring as uh, Watch Out for Snakes and kind of my free time. And I had enough vacation where I was able to do that in, in my off time and still hold down the, the job with Coca-Cola. But, you know, after 11 plus years working there, I just kind of got a little bit burned out. And then that in combination with wanting to give music a real shot spurred me to call it quits uh, last year. So I've been doing uh, music full time um, the last couple of months, just trying to uh, really focus in on that. Well, look, speaking of music, let's listen to another track from Upgrade. This is another one that I uh, really dug, uh, a track called Heartbeat by Watch Out for Snakes. And that was Watch Out for Snakes with the track Heartbeat. And I'm here right now with Watch Out for Snakes, Matt, who has given me a very extensive work biography. 
I feel like this has turned into a job interview. Well, you've gone through so many different companies. Like, I got an internship at Turner Broadcasting. They went from IBM to Coca-Cola. Like, you've you've worked for all the big ones. You know, I was just trying to find something that uh, could pay the bills, and it ended up turning into, like, a, a full-time career of sorts. But uh, but music was always, always in the background, and that's always kind of been my passion. Like, all the time that I was working at, at those places, I was touring around in this band, The Drown Out, and then doing the Watch Out for Snakes thing. What'd you do at Coke? I worked uh, in corporate learning. So when somebody joins Coke, they get onboarded to like the company culture. And then uh, a lot of the times they need to be taught, you know, how to do things that are like very specific to whatever their role is at Coke that they may not have um, gotten training for in school. Most companies, I mean, Coke's not alone in this, but most companies have like a, a corporate learning department um, that kind of manages an internal like university that the employees have access to. My job was basically to make sure that that internal like online university was running smoothly and that we had like the right platforms in place to make sure that people could get to all the, all the learning and, and training that they wanted for self-development. Is that where they brainwash all the people to not be racist? I've been watching all these videos, but all these corporations who... Uh, sorry, I was on YouTube just earlier, so I see a lot of these idiots complaining that like big companies are like they're saying they're they're telling their stuff not to be racist. Like that's a bad thing, right? Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting. It's, it's really kind of a, a fine line to be walked because on the one hand, I definitely think that there needs to be stronger diversity and inclusion training that actually moves the needle as opposed to you know just a box that people are checking to say like yeah I sat through this or I clicked through these couple screens and now I'm like suddenly not a racist. So. But my but my favorite part is that it's such a problem for some people. Like here's our training on you know diversity and inclusion, and all you have to do is just sit in a chair and watch a video. It's like who cares? Right. I remember I worked at the bank. Every lunch they would be like this stupid team meeting that was useless. And to me, it's like it's the exact same thing. This is just like stuff that corporations have to do just to say that they did it. And so we'll sit around and have a boring meeting that no one wants to be in and just sits around and looks at each other waiting for lunch. And it's like, all right, can we go now? And that's it. But then there's these people on the internet who just like, just take this very seriously when it's like topics they don't like. Right. Well, I think right now with the climate and the, and the U S especially, you know, it's uh, like everything's heightened right now on both sides. And so, you know, if this training had been released three or four years ago, it, it probably wouldn't have made headlines or anything, but because everybody on both sides is kind of, looking for reasons to kind of blow things out of proportion or try and make this the the flag and the sand they're going to, or the hill that they're going to die on, you know, like that's, that's kind of what this has kind of become an attraction for. I mean, the reality of it is that there does need to be better like diversity and inclusion training, whether that is like the job of a corporation to do that. I'm still kind of like not sure because I mean, most corporations don't have the best like interests in mind to begin with. So it's, it's all being done from kind of a, uh, a self-serving kind of place at the end of the day, uh, no matter what what anybody says. But but the reality of it is that like if some of these people don't get it from work, or then you know if they're, they're not told that like some of this behavior isn't appropriate, then where where are they going to get it from? So yeah. Well, but the bottom line is when you were doing this stuff, it's like you weren't necessarily you weren't writing or, or doing any of the actual programming itself. You're just sort of making sure that everything was working properly. Right. Yeah. I was more on like the digital side of things. So like I, I was responsible for making sure that if somebody was trying to access that training, that they could actually access it. But I wasn't necessarily the one that was sitting there like actually creating the training training or, or deciding on 
you know, what vendors we were using to actually provide the training. Do you get free Coke? Uh, I did when I worked there. Uh, we had like vending machines everywhere, like inside the, the Coke headquarters. And you could go to whatever vending machine you wanted and, and get whatever you wanted out of the Coke machine. They had like Coke slushy machines. They even had like, <laughs> they had uh, machines that uh, have different Coca-Cola products from around the world. So if you wanted to know what like a Coca-Cola product tasted like in, in Africa, you could go to that dispenser and, and get that product out and, and drink it for lunch. Really? Yeah. And it's really a surprise to me that anybody at Coca-Cola has teeth because uh, <laughs> everybody is drinking sugary soda all the time. Like everybody, instead of drinking coffee, people are drinking Diet Coke. Everything is a Coke product over there. And I mean, eventually I got to the point where all I was drinking was either Smart Water or Dasani because it's like the Coke water products. Which for some reason also has 100 milligrams of sugar and everything. But <laughs> <laughs> Did you bother to sample all the uh, international Coke? I mean, I, I would try uh, some of them. Did you notice a difference? Uh, yeah, I mean, like, it, it's interesting because there's definitely, like, regional distinctions. So, like, uh, in Africa, the drinks, ha- they have, like, a much more, like, sugary taste to them. Whereas, like, the Asian regions, they, they have, like more of a tea kind of it's, it's almost not a bitterness but it's definitely a little bit easier on like the the sweetener and then places like mexico or like south america that they're using you know actual sugar which you know the whole mexican coke thing now that that's available in the states like people can try that but yeah it's every every region kind of has its own like distinct flavors of coke products and it's kind of based on what coke knows is going to perform well over there i don't know if they're still pursuing it but i think that coke was uh getting ready to come out with like an alcoholic beverage in uh japan that was kind of based off of sake but uh i I don't know how far that went or whether that's still in production and then you left coke just because you were done at Coke? Yeah. You didn't want to become like the king of Coke? Uh, I mean, I'd been there for 11 years. Uh, I'd kind of like outlasted a lot of my coworkers. So like the the entire team culture was completely different from when I first joined. And uh, I was just looking for a different change. I, I mean, I, I'd come to realize over my time there that music was more fulfilling to me, especially like the live performance aspects of it. So that's something that I, I really wanted to kind of you know, step away from Coke a little bit to try and focus on full time. Uh, just every time I hear that, it's <laughs> it takes me a second to remember that. Yeah, we're talking about Coke, the company. <laughs> yeah, everybody. And that's always like the first joke that I get whenever I'm like, oh, yeah, I worked for Coke. And they're like, oh, really? Like you're hang- hanging out in like bathrooms in the 80s. And like, <laughs> so what, what were you doing for Coke? Yeah, I hate sometimes where my brain goes to the most cliche joke possible, but like when, whenever people talk about Coke, that's the first thing I do, and I'm like, I almost have to fight it, you know, <laughs> just like, anyway, I like how uh, you keep on wanting to talk about music, and I keep on <laughs> sidetracking you. It's like, no, it's, it's all good. I just, I don't, don't want to like make it into like a, a job interview again, where it's like, I'm, I mean, I don't, maybe this is interesting for people, but it's like, you know, just like what I've been living my day to day that I'm like trying to escape from, like into music so i just think it's funny that we (laughs) i've ended up talking about it most of the time well that's what i do here um well look how about this let's listen to another track uh we're gonna move forward here to uh the album scars and uh and this has a bunch of cool songs and i want to listen to this one it's called this ain't no cut scene but watch out for snakes
And that was Watch Out for Snakes with This Ain't No Cutscene. And I'm here right now with Watch Out for Snakes, Matt. I am here, still. <laughs> Good. I was hoping you didn't leave during the break. Yeah. No, I did not. <laughs> so, in Atlanta now, but there's a few other, like, Atlanta artists I know. Have you, like, uh, hooked up with them? Oh, yeah. We've got a, a huge scene here. I feel like we're all very supportive of each other, and we're all very collaborative. Like, you'll frequently see a lot of us playing shows together or, like, um, doing collabs. And I never feel like it's a cutthroat thing where, you know, if, like, say, Gregorio Franco or Vampire Stepdad or Acid Gambit ends up getting a show slot that I was hoping to get, like, I never feel any kind of animosity towards them because there's definitely more of, like, a community feel to, to what we're doing here. And that's one thing that I've, like, really been trying to amp up like right before quarantine uh had started up like this artist collective here in atlanta called terminus retrowave and uh, the whole goal was to try and make something similar to what turbo drive has done out in san francisco you know we, we would basically be a home for local artists uh and fans who are looking for like-minded people that also enjoy the synthwave genre but also become a home in atlanta for anybody who's looking to tour through and therefore you know connect up the different touring artists with the, the local scene i don't know how whether it's the same way in other cities or not but at least in atlanta what happens a lot is you'll have a touring artist come through in the synthwave genre but they may not know who's there in the local scene or like whoever the venue is that's doing the booking may not be fully aware of the local scene. And so they end up like booking a support act that is maybe not, they don't really fit with that like major artist in the best way. And so like what, what I'm really hoping to accomplish with, with Terminus Retrowave is start hosting our own like monthly event so that uh, we're the ones that are kind of helping to bring in some of these artists that might not have come to Atlanta otherwise and then link them up with some of the local artists here that maybe haven't gotten a chance or an opportunity to play with some of the touring acts that have come through Atlanta. But yeah, we have a really tight scene here. Um, we've got Gregorio Franco, Vampire Stepdad, I think are probably like the two like more well-known ones um, aside from myself. But then we have like a, a huge stable of other um, artists like Frisky Monkey, Searsha, Coffin. Uh, we've got Ghost Host, Wraith Walker, I mean, the, the list really, like, keeps going and going and going. You know, we're all we're all good friends here in the scene. Like, we've been getting together over quarantine, doing kind of socially distanced gatherings and parking lots and things like that just to kind of check in with each other and, and see each other face-to-face, -face, which has been nice. But, yeah, hopefully now that things are starting to open back up, we'll be able to hit the ground running and, and try and, uh, you know, organize some, some actual shows um, under the Terminus Retrowave name and get back to, uh, to playing Good Tunes Live. Do you have any timeline in, in your head when you're going to start reaching out to uh, bars and venues and things? Or is it still sort of up in the air? You're just waiting for things to officially be like, are you trying to get a head start? Yeah, I mean, I, I think what we're seeing right now is that there's a lot of venues that are already starting to book. And so uh, and they're, they're booking out in kind of like the August, September, October um, time frame, which is pretty typical from a booking perspective to be looking that far in advance. So yeah, I've, I've already reached out to like some of the venues here in Atlanta. But I think the challenge here is that the quarantine shook things up so much that some venues are still a little bit wary about reopening. Other venues are even reconsidering whether they want to reopen as a music venue or maybe like switch to a different format, like comedy as an example, which, I mean, I, I'm still trying to figure that one out because I can't imagine that there are 
more people that would want to go. Uh, no, no knocks against comedy shows or anything, but it's like we already have enough comedy clubs in Atlanta. I'm trying to just think what the difference would be because I know you can do you can because you can do stand up outside. Now, I, I don't think it has anything to do with that. I think it's more just they think that they can make more money off of like a that it's going to be a more sustainable source of income for them than music events would be. But I mean, at the end of the day, you're. I mean, you're still making money off of the bar at the venue, like no matter whether it's a music or a comedy event. So I I don't really understand how switching to a different format would really alleviate any financial strain that you're already experiencing. Yeah, I'm just trying to think what the logic behind that is, because like I understand fine if you are a, um, you know, if you're not like super popular musicians that like you're not going to bring in like some huge crowd, but then neither is a not popular comedian. Right. Like, Like I get it if like some famous comedian comes into town and goes like, oh, hey, like, you know, if Dave Chappelle walks in, then yeah, he'll fill the club. But like if I was a venue that I would maybe just do both. You know, like just do like, oh, maybe Tuesday night is comedy night and Wednesday you have bands and whatever and like at least test it out to see because unless... Is there a thing? Do comedy audiences buy more booze than people going to see a band? Is that a thing? Yeah, I, I don't know. I've never seen the the sales to the bar sales to be able to compare. But yeah, I, I do feel like the model that you you suggested where it's more of a, a diverse mix of of the two is probably like the better model. And that we already have a couple of venues here in town that we're doing that pre-quarantine. So that that I understand. Um, that seems more sustainable to me, but to just swap one for the other doesn't necessarily I wonder I wonder if they're concerned that music crowds are more rowdy uh I mean that could be there could be like overhead involved like damage or liability insurance or something to that effect but see in that case then I would just say I would I would um just handcuff everybody <laughs> no, I think I would just then put some sort of uh, parameter on the genres that I allowed to be in my bar. Yeah. Then it'd be like, oh, it's just like, we're like a crust punk outfit or something. Then like, nah. Yeah. Because your, your stupid fans are going to come in and punch each other and like throw each other into the walls and stuff. And so that's my own personal prejudice against crust punk. Hey, I was going to say, like, it feels like a slippery slope. <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned crust punks because, I mean, honestly, that those are the kind of crowds that I, I grew up on. The ones that I wish were more a part of our synth scene because I, I I really like it when, when audiences get rowdy and, and are, like, actually moving around as opposed to, you know, doing the, the folded arms, like, standing in place, just kind of, like, nodding head up and down, but not really dancing or jumping around. So Well, there's got to be a happy medium, though, because I find find sometimes the the punk crowd can be animated but in a way where people get their faces punched i was gonna say you don't like having your teeth knocked out (laughs) nope (laughs) (laughs) i mean there's got to be a a fine line there's a there's a happy medium between uh, standing and bobbing your head and getting your face punched there's like a nice little middle ground unless you just have a sign that just says like no face punching Uh, yeah which I feel like I have seen that in venues before. But, or it may, may not have been face punching, but I know like stage diving is an example. Like no stage diving. Like that's right. definitely a sign that I've seen in a bunch of places. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the challenge though, is that like most of the venues that are closing down or, or changing are those kind of like basement venues that have like more of an edge or more more like attitude or personality to them. Like a lot of the, the bigger venues where... You know, they're they're just big boxes with a stage. Like those are going to be fine because they've already got like this established lineup of of promoters and everything that they're used to working with. But I, I think that some of these smaller, like one one fifty max capacity 
venues where you know they're really kind of taking that place of like a, a basement show or like a house party or something like that those are the those are the places that i think have been kind of hit the hardest like during the quarantine well we'll have to see what happens man because the the timeline's different for every place so we're gonna have to watch those uh, particular states well and it's it's different from state to state here too i mean like i was just down in florida and it's like like nothing ever ever happened there like everybody's just walking around like normal life again and uh georgia is a little bit more conservative like in that respect where like people are still kind of like masking up in certain situations and then and then of all places i I heard that like san francisco is like opening up like venues again and they're going to be having having shows and stuff and so it's, it's it's interesting to me because i always think of them as being you know, the, the ultra cautious kind of state within the U.S. Um, but uh, it seems like even they are starting to get to the point where, you know, we're going to start having having shows in California again. It's so. interesting because, uh, you know, when the synth wave scene, for, uh, you know, started and more people started joining, uh, a lot of the artists wore masks. So it's almost like we were like ahead of the curve. It's too bad that... Uh, <laughs> Because that could have been the thing. If, if, if everyone dressed up like the artist, like that was the thing, and then everyone went to the show just with these full-on head coverings, you know? Yeah, dr- dresses dresses your favorite synthwave artist. Yeah. <laughs> Ski mask or some weird spaceship on your head. Uh, I want to listen to another song from Scars. There's a cool one called Arms Race. Sorry, my segues are real bad. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, this is this is a cool song. It's this is Arms Race by Watch Out for Snakes.
All right, and that was Arms Race by Watch Out for Snakes. And I'm here right now with Watch Out for Snakes, Matt. That outro was good. What, did I fuck up the intro? No, the intro was, was good, too. You were just, like, kidding yourself. Oh, yeah, no, I was, I was down on my uh, my segue. <laughs> The, the one thing I will say about like the tracks uh, that we've been listening to is that you know on both Upgrade and Scars, like a lot of the a lot of what informs me thematically on on those songs is like like health stuff that I've gone through in my own life. And so when you're listening to the tracks on Upgrade and you hear or you see the the titles like Torn, The Cut, and things like that, it's, it's all references to like open heart surgery. Uh, that I went through like years and years ago and then like other deaths in the family that I've experienced or I had experienced over like the course of the, the couple years prior to the release of Upgrade. So like a, a lot of that stuff is, you know, kind of a cathartic way of dealing with like some of those tragedies or just some of the things that I was going through or like other people I knew were going through. So just adds another layer, I guess, to listening to some of the songs that like some people might not already be aware of. So like in my case, uh, what they did was a, a valve replacement. So I had a bad aortic valve. It got to the point where I couldn't climb like a flight of stairs without being completely out of breath. So I knew that there, something was wrong. And, uh, and when I went to the doctor, they were like, yeah, you need to have that, that aortic valve replaced. And so like the summer between uh, undergrad and, and graduate school, I ended up being hospitalized and, and had, had the open heart surgery where they went in and replaced my, my original aortic valve with a mechanical heart valve, which is the same one that I, I have today. So you're like a cyborg. Yeah. So that's And that's where a lot of like the... The cover art from both uh, Upgrade and Scars is kind of inspired by that. Like if you look at the characters on those covers, they've got a mishmash of both human parts and like something else that's going on there. You know, it's kind of like transformational that they're trying to figure out. So it's kind of, you know, a metaphor for the same stuff that, that I had to deal with trying to figure out like, okay, well, now that I've got this artificial heart valve, what does that mean for me going forward? And like, what is my my sense of self coming out of this. How does that even work? It's it, it's crazy to me. You know when people can be like all mad at science right now and all this stuff and then the amazing things that doctors can do like replacing an aortic valve. Mm-hmm. Like that's fucking crazy. I don't even understand what that means. Uh, that's that's why I find it really hard to relate to anybody that says that like they don't trust medical science or they don't believe in medical science because if it wasn't for medical science I, w- I wouldn't be alive right now. So it's really easy to, to believe in it when it's kind of your only course of action to like stay alive and then like it's what's keeping you alive um every day thereafter mm-hmm. so yeah i, I, I kind of feel like I, I don't have any choice but to kind of believe and trust in and medical science because yeah that's what i have to do if you haven't gone through an experience like that i could understand how you could doubt it but you know once you have that kind of come to jesus moment so to speak <laughs> come to the mechanical aortic <laughs> valve moment yeah well and it's it's funny because i i mean I, I don't really necessarily want to get into like religion or anything on the podcast but it's like i i'm not like necessarily like, a believer or anything you fucking heathen you get the hell out of here <laughs> what, what's interesting to me is that like <laughs> so I, I i misspoke i i am a believer but i i believe in like in medical science so it's like you know when i was trying to figure out you know how i felt going into the open and heart surgery and whether I was afraid or not mm. like I had talked with that surgeon and I like knew what the risks were and felt like really comfortable with his skill and his talent as a human being and that's that's where I placed my trust and my belief that everything was going to be okay so everybody's different but you know at least for me that's what was helpful like I have no problem knowing that there are people out there who are way smarter than me and I think there's some people that 
are threatened by that. I mean, well, I mean, they talk about elites a lot, but like, you know, even when it comes to like medical stuff or whatever, like they don't want to believe experts and all this. And I always just think there's so much stuff I don't understand. Yet here we are sitting in front of computers with fucking LCD screens. I'm literally sitting in front of two screens right now. I don't understand any of this, but I just know, like I have faith in that there are just people out there who are just operating on another level of intelligence than me. And I do have a weird sort of faith in that. Yeah, I mean, intelligence is definitely a a spectrum. But, like, I think the thing that I always keep in mind is it's not necessarily that people are are smarter than you or I or whatever. It's that they're doing this on, like, an everyday basis. Like, opening up somebody's heart and, like, replacing a valve is routine for them. Like, they're they're doing, like, two or three of these a day. You know, in, in the same way that... You know, I, I would never be able to have, like, the expertise that you have in, in terms of, like, creating a podcast or, you know, like that. Well, that surgeon. <laughs> let me, <laughs> you, could, you could pick it up real fast. It's, it's well, I know you bring a certain, like, <laughs> charisma and everything that, like, it's hard to replicate because it's, it's who you are. But, like, I'm sure that it wasn't just, like, an overnight thing. You know, you worked at it. And, and now, now it's more of, like, a second nature to you in the same sense that... I wonder if I have my Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours... <laughs> Of, of podcasting at this point. Yeah. I must. I mean, it's been like since 2013, and I do like one episode a week. What's the math on that? You're approaching what, like 300 episodes, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's got to mean something. I would hope so. I mean, it's the same thing every week. It's, it's, I don't know how much I'm learning, but yeah, you're right. I mean, but that, that being said, there are people who I do feel operate on like a higher wavelength, like, cause like the person who like figured out like the microchip or something, you know what I mean? Like, that's just, is that like a, he just studied as his math for 10,000 hours is just like, this dude's sure. just real good at something that I will never be able to approach understanding. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's definitely true too. And I, I have faith in that and just in in the idea of the human ingenuity i guess and although it's hard to, it's hard to put into words it sounds stupid now that i say it out loud i should no, i, I mean, should have planned I, I that it, better <laughs> yeah, i think it makes sense so i mean i think that the thing that i struggle with more now is it's not so much like whether i believe in human ingenuity or not because i definitely do believe in human ingenuity but it's like how we're applying that like are we really applying that ingenuity in a way that is future thinking or are we doing that in more of like a tech bro kind of mentality where it's like hey i i'm really i'm really smart person but i'm gonna use that to get rich quick whereas you know i could be working on like rocket science or i could be working on like you know creating software that was like trying to tackle like hunger or something you know something like look if you're if you're trying to tell me that these led lights inside my toilet are some sort of useless invention you can go to hell okay (laughs) yeah that's that's fair enough i (laughs) I, i'm definitely not like starting a war on like led or neon lights i feel like i I would completely like ostracize myself from the rest of the synth wave community in that department yeah no, you're right, though. I, f- I feel like some people's talents go towards really stupid things that I will never understand because I've never been, I've just never had that mentality. Like, I'm not a hippie, but to me, it's like, as long as I have what I need, and sure, I like, I have aspirations. Like, I would like uh, maybe to have an apartment with an office, you know? Like, like my dreams aren't that uh, crazy. They're very modest. It's sort of just like, as long as we, you know, we're getting food and we have, you know, the occasional new toy. I don't have aspirations to live in a mansion or drive a gold car or any of those things. It's like, you know, it's the same with the podcast, the same with career stuff. It's like, as long as we just have enough money where, like, you know, we can pay the bills and we're not stressed, 
and it doesn't really require that much, to be honest. To not be stressed, to just have that, just that security of knowing, hey, if something fucks up, we can deal with it. And that's not really like a million dollar requirement. No. Like the greed, I just don't. I don't get right now if you if like someone opened my head and looked at my dreams it'd be like you know hey like my kids uh, I hope I can have the money that they can do the education they want to do when they're out of public school and I would like an office that I can close the door of so that I can have some <laughs> privacy and actually record this show without my kids in the background and you know I like a nice television and, and a video game system and uh, <laughs> I have very modest dreams and it's like when I see, I was watching that stupid YouTube video of like the most expensive house ever made, that fucking $500 million thing that that moron made. Oh, right. Did you watch that video? Uh, I, I watched like the first part of Dude, it. Dude, it's I, amazing. I, <laughs> when he's like, he comes out and he's just like, you know, we're really, <laughs> my favorite part of the video is when they're in the one of like the 14 foyers and there was like these planters with fake plants in them. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, and, and check this out. You know, like these these plants, these are these are like artificial. They're meant to look like really real, but they're artificial, you know, because we're all about sustainability, you know, like we want to like, uh, you know, save the environment so you don't have to water these. And then like in the same breath goes like, hey, come on, check out this pool. And it's one of like 14 pools that the house has, you know, like, the, mm-hmm. and the guy didn't even acknowledge the stupid irony of that sentence. Yeah. Like we have fake plants. We don't have to water. Now I'm going to take you to like pool number 14. <laughs> like it's just the stupidest thing but it is sort of funny to watch pretty absurd but to your point i feel like i feel like i have simple needs too somebody was giving me a hard time the other day because uh they were asking me like what some of my life goals were and i i told them you know hey i want to travel to japan i want to travel to europe uh yeah and i want to own like a like a jacuzzi tub in like my master bathroom at some point in my life yeah. and, and they were like you're like matt you can do that like today like if you want i was just like yeah it doesn't really feel like it's like that close but but i understand <laughs> what they were saying like it's just like yeah. you know i and i think that that's something that i'm i've always been really bad about is putting things off that would make me happy today and, and just being like yeah you know like uh, i don't really need that right now but then by the time that you you do have it it may be too late to enjoy it so make make the most of the time you have kind of kind of speech but well i think the main thing this is the only time where i have business brain because my my brain does not function on a business level but someone made a good point to me one time who was trying to help me uh organize and they're basically just said like what's your time worth and I never knew what my time was worth uh, in money terms, you know? So when you take like, well, what are your bills and what do you need to be paid or what do you get paid an hour? And then start to apply that to those things you do in your life that waste time. Because then you start to go like, if you actually figure out like, well, you know, I work for Coca-Cola and they, well, I don't know what you made, but you know, like they pay me $20 an hour and uh, so I'm worth $20 an hour. And then you go to the grocery store and you spend an hour driving around the parking lot looking for a space mm-hmm. where you could have parked up close but you had to pay five bucks because it's like a paid place you didn't want to pay the five bucks but then you go well if i drove around for an hour i just wasted twenty dollars of my time to not pay five dollars it's like my time would have been worth it like it would have been worth it for me to pay the five dollars if it meant saving that hour because my 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 hour is worth more than that yeah that's definitely a, an interesting point i've never really thought about it that way before but i think it makes sense and so that's why I went on uh, Craigslist and bought an Xbox and a PlayStation 5 because I, 
because I like that led into like because, video games that was like uh, yeah. well because what happened was you know because they're still not really in stock and I didn't want to pay scalpers like 1500 bucks but I found some people who were selling some used actually one was still in the box and one was like used but it had only been used for a month because the system wasn't out for that long and so I didn't pay a huge markup and the thing was if I didn't do that I would have been wasting like an hour of my time every day on those stupid websites of like, we're updating you on Best Buy stock. Yeah, like the Best Buy in this city like has five units shipped in. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. I would have wasted so much time. And I'm like, you know what? Okay, I paid $40 more for the, the Xbox than I would have paid if I got it in the store. But it was still in the box. It was new in the box. And I was like, honestly, that's worth it because or else I probably would have wasted like thousands of dollars of my time staring at stupid websites every morning updating to see if like the shipment had come in you know like or, or you could be like me where I'm like completely denying myself getting games on like PS4 right now because I know that eventually once I get a PS5 I'm just going to want to get them for that too <laughs> okay but I'll say this I keep on saying this on the show but this is true so I, I do have the both the consoles and the best part about these new ones is they the load time is so much better and it is making the experience of playing those games better. So if you do wait, and then you eventually get like a PS5 or, or an Xbox Series X or whatever, playing even the older games, like PS4 games and Xbox One games and stuff, it's so much a more enjoyable experience when the load time is drastically reduced. I'm playing games that like were like I was enjoying fine on the, on the regular Xbox, but then all of a sudden I'm enjoying them so much more because there isn't like one minute load time every time I leave a building or something. So it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because one of the games that I'm holding out on is uh, the Mass Effect Remastered, which I'm like a huge Mass Effect fan. Mm, I'm playing it again right now. Okay. I've always wondered, okay, with quicker load times, how does that impact the elevator sequences? You can skip them. Oh, okay. If you want to. So they made it optional. So like now when you're in the elevator, there is a skip option, which will just like end the dialogue. Gotcha. Yeah. That's, that seems like the best of both worlds in that case. What I think is actually really cool is uh, the track fight those invisible ninjas by watch out for snakes. (laughs) I'm sorry. <laughs> I just realized we talked for a really long time there without playing a song. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe you can like cut and paste like that into an earlier part. No, no, no. I won't do that at all. Uh, we're going to listen to this right now. All right, man. This is a cool track. It's called uh, Fight Those Invisible Ninjas. And uh, and then we'll keep talking. This, is, this has been like my favorite episode for just terrible segues. I'll just, I'll just keep this pattern going for the rest of the show. Uh, this is Fight Those Invisible Ninjas by Watch Out for Snakes.
right, and that was Watch Out for Snakes with Fight Those Invisible Ninjas. And I'm here right now with Watch Out for Snakes, Matt, talking about Mass Effect, which I am actually really enjoying because I rushed through the first one when I played it the first time. Mm-hmm. So now I'm doing all the side missions. Yeah. I'm enjoying it. There was so much stuff I just skipped last time. I think by the time that I played the trilogy uh, the first time, I mean, the whole trilogy had been out. It was like kind of that collected bundle. And so the first one... It was good on story, but it's definitely that that game that you play through just to like get it done, so that you can get to like the second two games in the trilogy. Yeah, I mean, definitely uh, part two and, and three are better. I do enjoy part one though. Like now that I'm like going through and doing all the stuff. Now, mind you, I am playing the remastered one, so I know they said they changed the control of the mm-hmm. the vehicle and stuff, which I don't even remember really how it played. I know people used to complain about it, but I don't think I really noticed. I mean, it was famously bad, but I honestly don't feel like. And again, maybe they. T- tweaked it like in between the original version and then like the version that I played on like the collected trilogy but it wasn't as bad as I feel like everybody was making it out to be. Because you don't do anything important with the vehicle like I would understand if there were segments where you had to drive on little thin bridges or you'd fall to your death or something but like all the vehicle stuff there's no consequences like it's you just you rocket over mountains and you can't blow up or crash or anything and there's only a few segments where you shoot some giant snakes where you can take damage, but like for the most part, it doesn't matter that the control is bad. It's all avoidable too. Like I mean, you if you didn't even want to play like or, or like visit those planets, you could get by just fine without going to them if that's like really that much of a priority for you. I think there's only like a couple of parts within like the main storyline where it forces you into actually like piloting the Mako. But for me, I had more of a problem with the way that the biotic HUD like worked or like the abilities HUD worked and like just the running and kind of like turning shooting mechanics definitely doesn't feel as polished as it it does in later games. But that's the one difference between like video games and movies is as an art form anyways, is that video games really are the sum of their parts And so there's so many games, like I love open world games, like those are my favorite thing. And, you know, a lot of them, yeah, they don't do anything, one thing perfect, but like just the fact they do a whole bunch of things is fine. And so like when I play a game like Mass Effect, it's like, yeah, okay, I mean, it is dated, but it's just so much is going on. Like there's this cool story, there's these vehicle scenes that, you know, there's like third person action stuff. It's got all this RPG upgrading and all this, like there's so much going on that like, I accept that no one part is perfect. Yeah, 100%. For me, like, the, the winning aspect of that first game is just the story itself. Like, I, I would I would play that game just as kind of like an interactive book, really, yeah. even if that, that was the format that it took, because the, you know, the plot twists when you're playing it for the first time, and then the amount of choice that you have in terms of determining what happens at certain junctures within the game, it, it really does keep you coming back, and it makes it engaging to play through. What I found actually interesting, though, I uh, I'm making some slightly different decisions this time. So I know, like the first time I played the game, I think was even before it was a trilogy, but it was only on Xbox. And a friend of mine lent me his Xbox, and I didn't. I, at that point, I hadn't really played too many like open world kind of RPG games at the time. So I just sort of played it as a straightforward game. So I didn't do any of the side missions. Like I only did the main story. So my character was totally like not leveled up. I didn't appreciate leveling up your speech and stuff, which is what you need for <laughs> some very important decisions like later on. So Rex died because I couldn't talk him down and uh, 
<laughs> and then I chose to save Ashley instead of Caden. And so this time, I chose to save Caden because I just wanted to see the difference. Mm-hmm. And her death scene was so undramatic. Like, I remember him, like, staying behind with the bomb. And it was, like, an episode of 24. It played, like, dramatic music and he detonates the bomb and then it blows up. And Ashley just kind of dies off screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I had the same reaction where I was like, wait, what? Did, is she gone now? Like, I'm so confused. Yeah, it's <laughs> weird because that was the one thing that disappointed me about part two because I love part two. And I played it twice. And I remember I had a PlayStation, so I had to play the interactive comic book because I couldn't transfer my save from the Xbox. Mm. And so when I played the comic book, I chose, you know, I'm like, oh, Rex lived. And all these other things I (laughs) fucked up the first time. Like retconned everything. Yeah. (laughs) And I remember going, remembering that the death of Caden was really dramatic. And so I was disappointed at the end of Mass Effect 2 because I lost a few of my crew on my first playthrough. And they didn't really get dramatic deaths. It was just like at the very end of the game, it's just there's just a bunch of space coffins in a room. Oh, yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah, I guess Garrus didn't make them. I'm like, Garrus is dead? I'm like, because Garrus is my favorite guy. Like, what the fuck? So I ended up playing the game again. <laughs> like, I played Mass Effect 2 twice because I wanted to save everybody. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I did the same thing. I think luckily I'm playing games like Final Fantasy and stuff like that, like growing up, it's like just kind of ingrained the whole like save any chance you can get mentality in, mm-hmm. in me. And so I think I had like created save points at places before the final mission and into the first time that I played it. So like I definitely had team members that died that, that first playthrough. And to your point, I didn't realize that they had died until I got to the end and I'm looking at the plaque on the Normandy. I'm like, oh wait, like <laughs> there's Morden's name. Like I guess yeah. and then I was like looking around the room. I'm like, oh yeah, he's not here right now. <laughs> so, and that, that was the one thing that disappointed me a bit because in part three, characters do get nice dramatic cinematic deaths. Mm-hmm. And that's what I sort of wished to happen in like part two and part one. Because, like, I mean, Garrus is one of the coolest ones. And, like, he's just like, oh, by the way, Garrus is dead. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, you don't just say, by the way, Garrus is dead. Right. <laughs> it's fucking Garrus, man. Garrus is awesome. Yeah. I loved part two because every character was awesome. Like, I loved all the side characters introduced that fucking weird assassin fish alien guy. And- yeah. The, the only complaint that I have about two is that you don't get Legion, like, soon enough. Because Legion is one of my favorite characters. Wait, he's the last one you joins, right? Yeah, he's the last one that you get. And you literally cannot skip ahead to that part until you're almost ready to do the final mission. So I always wanted more time to spend with Legion because his dialogue is pretty hilarious, like at times. And he's an interesting character um, because you've been spending all this time in the first game, kind of like completely vilifies the Geth and everything. And then suddenly you have one on your team. And so it's just interesting, like what everybody's reactions are to that and like how he kind of fits into the team dynamic. But yeah, and then the other thing that I was going to say when you're talking earlier about Mass Effect 1 is that I didn't look at any guides or anything um, when I first started playing that game. And I had the same experience that you did where I really didn't know like where I was going or what I was doing so much. Like, But I literally had to start the game over because I, I did the planets in the wrong order and got stuck at like this save point. I, I couldn't back up far enough to like undo the mistake that I, that I had made. And I was trying to fight i can't remember her name but liara's mother oh yeah i was, yeah, yeah. Try- I was trying to fight her as like the first planet that i was doing and i had like oh, no. No, <laughs> no guns no gear nothing and i was just like banging my head against the wall trying to like restart that fight and okay this time i'm gonna have liara run over here and i'm gonna have ashley run over here and then you know shepherd's gonna hang out and it, nothing works so i was just like screw it i'm just gonna start the game over and do the plants in a different order yeah this time like i find i play those games a lot differently than i used to 
too. So I'm really savoring things now. When I play a game that's cool, I will do all the side quests. And so this time, since I've done all the side quests, my character is like super powerful. Nice. Because I because I enjoy doing all the side missions. I think it's fun. And so now, like by the time I fought her, you know, like I've got all these extra like healing things, and I've I've I, my gun is like super powerful. And so like we just wasted her in like a second. What's your normal build for Shepard? You know, when you've been playing games for such a long time, you start to just realize like what kind of player you are. And so I tend to play most games like action games. Skyrim, as much as I want to be a magician. I always end up slashing people with swords. Oh, yeah, you've got, like, a go-to archetype. And when I play a game like this, as cool as, like, I always see, like, appreciate all the biotic powers, at the end of the day, I know I'm just going to run around shooting, so I, I usually just pick the usually soldier type. Even though, like, the archetype of soldier is not my preferred archetype necessarily like if you gave me a choice of things like you want to play a soldier i'm like no but whenever i play a game where i have guns i want to be the best with the guns yeah i I go back and forth like i i think soldier is what i picked my first playthrough um and the mass effect trilogy and then like on the second time through i picked vanguard which is kind of still soldiery but it's got a little bit of biotic powers mixed in with it and that to me was like a game changer in the sense that like i enjoyed playing the game so much more as the Vanguard class, especially in 2 and 3, because they changed the mechanics for the Vanguard class where you're basically just, like, charging everybody all the time. That was really fun because it was definitely one of those, like, high-risk, high-reward situations where you're charging right right up into the enemy's face and, like, shotgunning them, and then you, you're looking around for, like, the next enemy to charge at, so... <laughs> I actually prefer games that just let you level up eternally. Like, you know where some games sort of put a cap on you, and so you do have to make a decision because eventually, like, your character is going to be this particular type of person. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, when I play a game like Skyrim, if they allow me to go to, like, level 200, I will eventually also level up my ability to shoot really awesome electricity, you know, because occasionally I might just want to shoot electricity instead of using a sword. Oh, that's that's why I like Chrono Trigger is still to this day like one of my favorite old school games because when you finish the game you have the option of like carrying over all of your current stats into a new game plus and then there's actually like certain endings that you can't get unless you fight the last guy at like different junctures within the game that like you wouldn't be you wouldn't be like powerful enough in your first playthrough for that to even be an option so it, it kind of like creates all these these new like directions that you can take things and and then it, it is rewarding to be able to just like smack down like any enemy in the game at a certain point because oh, yeah. you're just like so over leveled. I think my favorite new game plus experience was um, did you ever play? Oh, what was the game? It was like a horror game, but it was in space. They made three of them, but the oh, f- Dead Space. Dead Space. The first Dead Space game was one of the most satisfying new game pluses I ever did because the game was so hard. You had that stupid nail gun that had like three shots or whatever, and the game was really <laughs> scary. And then at the end of the game, you had all these awesome weapons. And just to play New Game Plus and go through all those areas again with, like, awesome weaponry was, like, just so satisfying. Yeah, that was... So that's actually a game that I missed when it first came out. But I went back and replayed it within the last two years, I think. Like, I don't I don't know how I went, like, that long in my life without having played it before. Because it was, like, phenomenal. I'm still playing through the second one right now. Because um, I, I got, like, the trilogy bundle for that. I never played Part 3. I think I I think I played part two. Part one had the most effect on me. Yeah. Part part one was like a, a work of art, in my opinion. 
part two seems so far again i'm only like halfway through but it seems like more of the same yeah which is like it's fun but it's like okay we've kind of done that before yeah that's always a tricky one whenever they do those sequels that are the more of the same ones where it's like they might actually be technically better games like maybe they've refined the control and stuff but you just you don't remember them because it blends it's like Adam's Family Movie 1 and 2. Like, when I think back to those, I'm like, I don't even remember what scenes were from which ones. It's like the same movie. Right. Yeah. That's a weird exactly. example. But, uh, <laughs> no, I mean, but I'm, I'm, there, I'm there for it. Because so. I remember the experience of the first Dead Space. That's a franchise I don't understand why they abandoned. Like, that was... It seemed like they would make more. Yeah. If I was more of a nerd, I could probably tell you why that didn't happen. But, like, I, I haven't, like, done that much digging <laughs> on it. But, but yeah, they, they should make more. Well, look. How about this? We can probably wind this down. But is uh, do you want to do you want to pick a song to play? Ooh, uh, did not know that you were going to give me the option. Mm. Let's go with. Um... <laughs> I like putting people on the spot. Oh my god! Yeah, you really put me on the spot with this one. <laughs> let's do "Rip Them Up." All right, man. Unless uh, this is "Rip Them Up," but watch out for snakes.
All right, and that was Watch Out for Snakes with the track Rip Em Up. And, uh, and that's a cool track, and I'm, I'm here. I've been chatting with Watch Out for Snakes this whole time, but uh, we can probably wind this thing down now is there something we didn't talk about that you wanted to talk about uh no not really uh just to let people know i mean again i'm, I'm working on stuff with terminus retrowave trying to set up events here in atlanta but um, i'm excited that i'm gonna have some show announcements soon for other locations that are actually starting to get their their butts together so i've already got some dates in uh in the summer for some shows so that i'll be able to get back out there and and playing with the guitar again so I'm looking forward to doing that because that's definitely like the thing that I enjoy the most about playing is just being out there and performing so where's where should people go to get this information all the normal places I'm on Bandcamp at watchoutforsnakestheband.bandcamp.com um, I also have an official site at watchoutforsnakestheband.com um, those are kind of like the two hubs like if you're looking for any kind of like show information or merch or videos or any of that kind of stuff it, it gets posted um, in both those places. So you you have an album right now. That, are you like still adding tracks to it? Yeah. So like the most recent album that I put out is actually kind of a well, all the music that I put out is passion project, I guess technically. But like this one in particular um, was something that I just wanted to do because I've been reading this uh, series of books called the Red Rising series. Nerd that, reading. <laughs> right. This is my reading is fun like promotional uh, segment. Here. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no. It, the the series was was good enough to where I was like, oh, you know this is really inspiring and um like i knew that there hadn't been any kind of like tv or film adaptation made for it yet and so it kind of gave me a little bit more free reign to kind of come up with what i wanted to come up with in terms of you know how i perceived some of the characters to be or like how i envisioned some of the scenes playing out from like a more cinematic standpoint and so the instrumentation that i'm using on that album is uh, you know slightly less chippy than I would normally use on my other stuff, but there's still that definite like watch out for snakes sound there um, that people will recognize. But uh, but yeah, it was a lot of fun working on that. I collaborated with Searsha, who is a like fantastic uh, vocalist here in Atlanta, on a couple of those tracks. And the idea, like you were saying, is to just kind of keep on adding to it over time. Um, right now, it's just uh, I think it's like five or six tracks. But then uh, the plan is over the next couple of months to add another five or six more, and then that may be like the the end of it at that point. But yeah, it's just been a kind of fun thing that I've been working on. And I've got like another couple of releases in the works, like some collaborations with other artists that people know and like a full release probably either later this year or early next year. What happens if you get to the end of the Reaper books and it sucks? It's got some <laughs> stupid ending. Uh, so far, I haven't hit that like Game of Thrones point <laughs> yet. So, like, I mean, he's still writing these books, um, so it still could happen. But I'm hoping that all fantasy authors will now take a use Game of because we still don't even know how the books of Game of Thrones are going to end, right? But I mean, I think all fantasy authors can use that as a sort of as a north star of like what not to do. Yeah, yeah. I guess can, can it be a north star of where you don't go as a south star? Yeah. What I appreciate about this author. Pierce Brown that did like the Red Rising series is that like his his writing is a lot more focused than like uh, George R. R. Martin. Like if if you read Martin, like it's kind of cool like how he he really paints these like really vivid pictures of things and gets like really deep into all this like you know contextual history for and like world building and everything. But I feel like he he burned himself out on on that so much to the point where he just kind of like lost track of the thread that was kind of carrying things throughout. So yeah, this this other author. 
uh, Pierce Brown. He, he does a really good job of, of kind of balancing those things. Nice. Well, I hope uh, you don't get burned. <laughs> I, I, I hope so, too. There's something, dude, I still can't get over. Yeah. It's mind-blowing to me. I know everyone's talked about this, and it's a fucking trite thing to say at this point. But dude, season like around like season four of Game of Thrones, I remember talking to someone going like, you know what? Even if the show became bad, it would still be the best show ever made. I just had no idea. Like the, the idea of that show becoming bad was like an unheard of thing to my brain. Mm-hmm. Like it didn't even compute. It didn't compute that that show could become bad. I was like, even when I tried to imagine it, because I knew every other TV show that lasts longer than like, you know, five seasons usually kind of turns bad but i was like there's no way this show's too good even if it kind of gets a little worse it's still gonna be a great show and then uh <laughs> and then we had the, the final season yeah so. dude i'm gonna say even like the final three seasons like it was like still fine i think what blew my mind most was just like in the the way it changed like the tone of the show completely changed and it wasn't surprising anymore and it became like a hollywood movie where you could just sort of guess everything that was going to happen yeah well they, they they stopped taking their time with stuff too like everything just felt rushed where it's like oh crap we only have this many episodes to wrap up all these plot threads and so it became more like and then this happened and then this yeah. happened and then this happened whereas it's like like i feel like the earlier episodes really kind of let you savor and like feel like what was happening in these moments and like gave you time with these characters to really kind of feel the weight of everything that was happening in the world. That show was just constantly surprising to me. I was always surprised at like, oh, they tricked me again. Like every time they would introduce a character, I'm like, well, they're not going to kill this person. And then they would. And I'd be like, how does the show keep doing this? Like keep the writing was so good that I was always surprised. Man, when the mountain fucking blew that guy's head up (laughs) when they're having the duel. And I remember just sitting in shock by myself (laughs) like I was watching it by myself and it just cut back to Tyrion with his mouth open like just like oh my god like that duel was so intense and then like I made the same face I'm just sitting in my chair with my mouth open just staring at the screen like uh what Mm mm-hmm and then, like, the last three seasons happened, and, like, I'm just sitting there like, yeah, he's going to fight so-and-so because they've been hinting at that, so he can't die in this scene because they're going to have to meet up in the final episode. And, like, it was just so... It became, like, just sort of boring, and it was just... ah. It's so disappointing, man. Yeah, I mean, if you'd read the books, like, before, like, you probably would have seen some of that coming because, like, I mean, my, my experience with the books was similar where I, I felt like it was really strong writing for, like, the first three or four or whatever, and I, I don't even remember how many there there are at this point, but but I, I just remember in, like, the last two books that he wrote, it felt very much like he had no idea where he was going with it, and so he was just <laughs> kind of taking his time on all these, like, tertiary characters and, like, and telling us all this stuff, just to try and, like, kill time until he could figure out like how the hell he was going to end it. So as soon as we started to get into that territory in the show, I was like, okay, this is going to be interesting to see like <laughs> to see whether they could make uh, any more sense of what he was writing in the books than than I could. Mm. But and they didn't. Nope. I wonder if has it ever happened? Because obviously movies are different, right? Where where you know different uh, production teams can come in and like take over a franchise or or whatever. But has it ever happened in book form? Like, if George R. R. Martin just quits or dies or whatever, like, and technically, like, 
Penguin has the rights to the fucking Game of Thrones IP or whatever? Like, has has another author ever come in and taken over someone's series? Uh, yeah, I want to say like uh, that happened with the Wheel of Time series with like Robert Jordan. I don't know if you ever read that. It's another fantasy series. I want to say that that was a series where that happened, where like he he was writing that one and then eventually he passed away before he really finished the the arc and and they had somebody come in and it might have even been his son or somebody i, I don't remember i may be getting that mixed up now with uh with tolkien um uh, silmarillion or whatever yeah i know that tolkien's son like put that together it's not quite the same thing as what you're talking about but i, I want to say that, that that has happened though where like authors have come in and kind of like finished runs of things that way another another example of that is uh, the dune series frank herbert he wrote like the first three or four books and then i think his son took over writing them so that's that's another <laughs> i love how there's just this thing like well he's his son he must be good at writing I, too I, right I, i'm probably just making that up and just being like oh and then the son came in no you're probably like i know i know this story like you know the idea that it's always like like it's the son who comes in and just goes like well, i'll do it too and it's sort of like this weird assumption that they would also be good at writing but like why do we assume that yeah i i wonder how much of it is that versus like it's just that they they want to try and uphold their parents legacy they may even recognize well, i'm not that much of a writer but i don't really trust anybody else to like be able to to go through my dad's notes and make sense of all this stuff. Yeah, they should just re- they should just release the notes, like just Xerox, Xerox. That's a <laughs> that's gonna date me as an old man. Uh, you know, like just make a photocopy of. Uh, do they do photocopies anymore? Even yeah, I was I was trying to think of something more dated, like microfiche or yeah. something. <laughs> <laughs> You go to buy, like, Game of Thrones book eight on microfiche, and it's just these fucking scribbled gibberish things that, like, he wrote on napkins and stuff. Yeah, you, you have to actually, like, go and buy your own, like, microfiche, like, reader in order to actually, <laughs> like... Fucking microfiche. It's just because it's also a funny word. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Anyways, man, look, we gotta go. This is <laughs> it's a weird way yeah. to end, but... <laughs> But it was uh, it was good talking to you, and uh, keep on making cool music. And I should also thank you. You you were one of my uh, earliest uh, patrons. Yeah. Of, of Beyond Synth. I very much appreciate you giving me the opportunity to to chat with you today, and I look forward to listening to uh, to every podcast that you you make. And I'm, I've really been enjoying like the the other content that you've been doing too, with like the spaceship stuff. That shit is like hilarious. Like I'm. I look forward to that like constantly. God, I so. wish I could make more. I know. Well, I, you know, and I I mean, maybe we, we could talk off air about it, but like, I, you know, there may be an opportunity for me to flex some of my animation muscles or do do something to kind of help out because I, w- I would enjoy like being a part of that somehow. Well, there's definitely uh, <laughs> there's definitely plenty of room for some flash animation. <laughs> there, there's no, yeah, that's like said no, nobody ever like nowadays. Like, yeah, that, that definitely died a, a fiery death. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, that's funny you say that because one of my earliest Instagram posts was me throwing a book on a fire and the book was Flash CS6 for dummies or something. <laughs> Not going to need this anymore. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, no, I, I appreciate you having me on. It was fun, uh, as always, talking with you. And uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing what you have coming up next. Awesome, man. You too. Keep on making cool music and we'll play it on the show. And you have a lovely Atlanta night. You too. Thanks, Andy. Cheers. All right. And that was my chat with Watch Out for Snakes. Hope you enjoyed that. Tune in next time to Beyond Synth, the best synthwave chat show there is. And very occasionally, the best chiptune chat show there is. And uh, I hope you all have a lovely week. Keep on being cool. And uh, we'll see you all next time. What?
right, that's the, that's the new way I'm ending. We'll see y'all next time. Thanks for Beyond Synth is made possible by the supporters on Patreon and PayPal. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a supporter at patreon.com slash beyondsynth or donating via PayPal at beyondsynth.com. If you want to submit music to the show, please email beyondsynthsubmissions at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow and subscribe to Beyond Synth on YouTube, Instagram, Twitch, Twitter, and Facebook. May the Force be with you.